Thanks for listening to the ISACA podcast. I'm your host, Safia Kazi, and I'm the Principal of Privacy Professional Practices at ISACA. Joining me today is a very special guest. Associate Faculty at the City University of Seattle, Dr. Patrick Offer is here to discuss his recently released ISACA Journal article titled Information Privacy Contradiction, Interest-Based Posture of Compliance and Violation. Patrick, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sophia. Now, before we really get into the content of your article, can you give us a little bit of background about yourself and tell us about your professional experience as it relates to privacy? Yes. Uh, since my graduation uh, about several years ago, about five, five years ago, my dissertation was, of course, on privacy and, and information security. So, and the two of them goes hand in hand. So uh, I've really been looking for um, novel ideas, novel solutions to solving the problem of privacy, because privacy is not going away with, in this dig digital age. So it, it is important that uh, scholars and practitioners do due diligence in advancing knowledge. Yeah, it's really interesting you mentioned that because I was reading your article and the approach that you talk about to privacy is something that I haven't really seen much elsewhere. So summed up, what is the information privacy contradiction and how are compliance and violation essentially just two different sides of the same coin? Yes, so uh, the, the information privacy contradiction is really, it's a new, it's new stuff. The idea is that there's always contradiction, shall I say, naturally, there's always opposites in whatever we do, male, female, good, bad, hate, love, et cetera, et cetera. So in case of privacy, we have two things, which is compliance, which is really what we actually want, and violations. The question is, normally there are two different sides of one coin because both of them, compliance and violation, is within one actor. An actor is someone, an organization, an individual, a nation, a community, an institution or a group uh, that are involved in any privacy, any instant of privacy, information privacy. Yeah, and so then what are some of the factors that have made applying and maintaining information privacy rights so difficult to do? If you look at the regulations, whether it's the, in the United States, for example, you have segmentation in terms of policy and regulations. There is no comprehensive policy. In Europe, you have the GDPR, which is comprehensive. In Australia, you have more comprehensive uh, policies. Okay, so it's difficult because one of the issues we have with information privacy is the issue of control. The issue of control, we defer to organizations in this case to uh, control the data. There is no check and balances, ethical, uh, it, you know, it's really difficult to ask an organization or any individual for that matter, or even a nation to police up themselves. There's also privacy leakages. Think about information security, for example. Sometimes you, there is a gap between when uh, a leakage occurs and the time when reporting is required. And who determines that? Is the organization. It's the, if you look at the regulation, it says reasonably possible, but reasonably possible can be any time the organization fails. You know, there is no concrete 
way of confirming that the organization took the actual reasonable time. If you look at the insiders, the issue of uh, insiders, when privacy or information security in, in a, so very similar to privacy. So when the actors within the organization have their own agenda and the organization's agenda and the public is, have no preview to this uh, um, motivations and agenda, they can actually do whatever they want, which is why we have so many violations by so many corporations, even as they purport themselves to be advocates and, and uh, protectors and guardians of information privacy. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned the idea of violations. Your article talks about this idea of the law of non-contradiction. Can you explain that and then explain how that might account for the fact that some organizations do everything they can to protect their own data, but exploit other people's data? So this is really, uh, when I was looking at this, this actually surprised me as well. The law of contradiction says reality does not contradict itself. Uh, this law of contradiction can also, also known as law of non-contradiction. It posits that reality cannot contradict itself, which I agree, reality cannot contradict itself. So what is reality? I am uh, recording this video. This is my reality. I cannot be recording this video and at the same time not recording this video. So it is, it's either I am recording or I'm not, which is a reality, so two realities. So likewise, if you look at privacy or inf information privacy from that perspective, you will find out that, oh, you, you know, maybe what is, why are we talking about, if you look at information privacy as a holistic one unit, it's difficult because it will be difficult to actually explain. But if you look at it from a multiple realities within one instant, instant of information privacy act, then you begin to realize that uh, contradictions exist. For example, for an act, instant act of information privacy, you have the uh, uh, data subject, uh, somebody who did, whose data, whether it's enterprise data or individual data is being picked up, being collected. You have the collector of that information. Um, you have uh, the realization or the fear or the concern by those uh, individual from whom those uh, data is being collected of losing their data and never have control of it. You have the value of both parties understanding the value and the risk associated with that. So you have all these different realities in a sense. The idea is uh, within these realities, these realities, depending on which uh, main group you are, if you are the recipient, even though you understand all the difficulties or the risk, it doesn't really matter to you. So you're more likely to violate someone else's information privacy because then, you know, you're trying to satisfy a need. On the other side, if you are the subject and you have different realities, group of realities, you're worried. You know, you're more likely to, you know, fight against compliance will be at the top of your mind. So the question here is that within one individual, you have this capacity 
for violation and capacity for, for compliance. That is at the core of this uh, discussion or this study. You know, how can we improve ourselves, our society, to where even though we have these capacities, we'll make the right decision regardless of our motivations? Yeah, it's really interesting that you mentioned that idea of contradiction. I think it's so common for people to say that they value privacy, but then we see that they act in ways that just don't quite align with those words of saying, I value privacy. Now, I'm curious, why is it important that regular regulatory attempts at information privacy compliance factor in these information privacy realities? It, it's really very, very critical. And that's has been a problem for uh, information privacy um, policymakers. With this work, what I, I like to see is that academics uh, and scholars and the practitioners will begin to look deep into the issue of control in information privacy. Control of one's personal data or information is at the core of information privacy. The, it's really difficult to control that information once you, have, you disclose that information. So the question is, do we really have control or illusion of control? So my point here is that we should look into and begin to formulate new ideas that will put those checks and balances. Let me just point out one thing. If you look at the GDPR, it, did all, it made all the right points, but still, it leaned towards giving, uh, uh, you know, deferring to organizations to make those decisions. We cannot go, run away from this because development, you know, digital, uh, the information, digital information advancement or technological advancement uh, made it impossible for someone or for our economy to, uh, to survive without the release of our personal informations or our enterprise informations. So if that's the case, and we already know that, the question is no longer about disclosure. We should already pass about disclosure. The, our interest should be to formulate and think, you know, formulate think tanks and people and knowledge around this idea of what is the best way to control personal information or enterprise information without timing of the economy or the information needed uh, for transactions around the world, whether it's e-commerce, e-government, e-marketplace, e-health, and so on and so forth. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point of needing to have some kind of collaboration to figure out what is it that you expect around privacy. And I think, especially in the US, we don't really have anything like the GDPR in place to protect us. I'm curious, can you tell me a little bit about What's the impact of having a world in which data can cross borders very rapidly, but there isn't necessarily a unified approach and culture of data privacy? What's the impact of having a world that's so fragmented when it comes to the approach to data privacy? So if you think about uh, data itself is tactical, operational, and strategic uh, asset. Now, with data, you can you can do a lot of things, whether it's information war, whether it's actual war, whether it's uh, business, economy, and everything. If you follow the data, you get to close enough to the right point or to close enough to the right answer. What does that mean? 
Every country is trying to protect their own data, just as individuals and organizations are trying to protect their own data. If we know that data, you know, the use of data or the disclosure of data is really uh, impossible to control in a sense that we need these data to be available for everybody to, op to operate with. What are we left? We're left with the proposition that we should do everything to manage, whether through governance, worldwide governance, or national governance, or organizational governance. You know, what you see is that even in these uh, setups uh, today, in every governance, they, everybody is trying to protect their data. Nobody, they, if you look into all this uh, data governance that is set up, go into their policies. The focus is not, if you focus only on your own interest, it's go, it, it won't work. So the focus should be your interest, the societal interest, both country and overseas, and the general public worldwide. Because for, for development to continue to uh, uh, you know, advance, these data need to be available somehow. If you look at what's happening with America and China, so many organizations being gigged for you know, transferring data. Why don't we have something like a world identification that is not unique to countries, that will easily make identifying people mute, but it still create the, make the data everybody need available to the world to use. This is just an idea. I know a lot of ideas on the plate, but let us think beyond ourselves, our organization, our institutions, our country, and look at the world at large and see how data, if well collected, will not necessarily harm the subject, but will also advance the world economy. Yeah, that's a great point. I love that. Now, getting back to your article, there were three really interesting concepts that you mentioned in there. You talked about the unity of opposites, materialist dialects, and self-interest. Can you explain these concepts and then let us know how they relate to the idea of privacy? Indeed, I would like to. These three, the unity of opposition, the materialistic uh, dialectics, and the self-interest, are at the core of information privacy reality, uh, contradiction realities theory. And this is how. First, the unity of opposite. In everything we do, like uh, I think I mentioned before, we have the opposite. Hate, love, everything, there, there's always an opposite, naturally. So because we have these opposites, in this case, in case of information privacy, we're talking about the opposite of whether to comply or to violate information privacy. Okay, so we have the opposite. Then you think about the materialistic dialectics. This is the struggle we have in choosing between those two opposites. For, for example, we struggle every day. In the book, in the, in the, in the paper article, I use the tug of war example, for example. So in this tug of war, you have two sides, two individual different groups, two groups, I should say, trying to pull one another closer so they can win. 
So, but then in information privacy, in this case, the capacity to contradict, uh, to comply and not comply or to violate is in one person. You don't have two people. So the question is, whose side should I choose? If I'm individual and I have capacity to violate and capacity to comply in information privacy, and I have these two opposite, how do I make that decision? How do I make that choice? What helps me to make that choice? That's where the self-interest comes to mind. Self-interest is the third leg. My self-interest determines which side of the uh, coin or which side of the um, information privacy that I, uh, you know, that I choose. So let's really uh, break it down a little bit more. So you have, of course, uh, before I do that, uh, of course, the uh, self-interest is what, what I count, in this case, if whatever I count as interest uh, that are uh, important to me. If it's an organization, whatever the organization think is important to them, if it's a country, the same thing. It doesn't have to be about me. What, all the stuff that are important to me is not necessarily about me. It can be anything that's outside of the self. So if you converge these three things, you have naturally the, um, the unity of the opposite. You have the struggle of choosing those two between those two. And then you have the self-interest that allows you to make that choice depending, in this case, whether you're a, a data subject or a data recipient or neutral, as the case may be. So that is those three converged together as information privacy contradiction reality story. Yeah, now I kind of wanted to focus on that self-interest piece. Your article says that what a person views as important at a time has a bearing on whether to protect or exploit private or enterprise data under given circumstances. So I'm curious, what are some of the circumstances that might lead to an entity exploiting private or enterprise data? Okay, that's really a good question. Think about this way. Uh, if an entity or actors, or in this case, it could be anybody, even an individual, as the case may be. So, for instance, let's take an individual because that will kind of give you the simplest form of explanation. I am an individual. I, when I go online to order something, obtain something, I already know that I will be giving up some information to get what I need. In that situation, I am a data subject because I'll be giving away my, my data. On the other side of that, uh, computer is an internet online merchant. Who is the recipient of my data? Their motivation is different because one, if they, okay, so it's sort of to, if their motivation is just to receive information enough to send me what I wanted or what I've purchased, and never have to do anything with my data, there won't be no problem. But even systematically in the system, you, you find out they say, do you want to save information? So always, more than always, they retain those information and they retain it for future use. 
And there's no end in sight how many times that information will be used. And normally they don't, they, they use it for more than what they prescribe in the first place, which is just a transaction or to obtain a, uh, goods or services. That's the problem right there. So motivations, and everybody's, my, my motivation in this case will always be to purchase. But the motivation of the merchant could sometimes be, I don't want to do anything with this data, just uh, have your uh, collect enough data to do the business. On, but sometimes they will say, okay, we need more data because of AYZ. And in this case, well, sometimes the, uh, I will not, in this case, I wouldn't know if they're collecting more data or they insisted on collecting some data that is not necessary for that transaction, but they still collect it anyway. And me knowing that I needed that item, will go ahead and give it in order to get what I need. That is one. They can also insist on collecting data from my computer system uh, knowingly or unknowingly to me. You know, through cookies is as, as an example. That can easily, if you do business to business, so one business is a, a recipient at one point and another business is uh, their edge, uh, subject at one point. Just think about it, a supplier and, and, and a, a supplier and a manufacturer. So when the, the, their positions flip, the supplier will now become a data recipient and, uh, and then the manufacturer will be a data subject. At each point, their positions changes, their interest and motivation changes because now they're not, a recipient don't care about the data. They use it for whatever they want. They just want as much data as they want. But the data subject is concerned of the data. So. I, in a time continuum, when my interaction with people and organizations change from data recipient to data uh, subject, in time and circumstances, my motivation changes and my self-interest changes. And that's how, you know, compliance situations and, uh, and uh, violations uh, take hold. Yeah, those are some really helpful examples. Um, and then if we bring it to the idea of information privacy contradiction cases, can you give us some examples of potentially well-known instances of this happening? Oh my God, this is really surprising. Think about it. Every day, all, every organization, if you go to any internet website, every day they you, you can read thousands of privacy protection, uh, you know, their devotion, dedication to privacy protection. And yet, we have thousands and thousands of violations every day. You know, GDPR in a few years have really had over 1,100 cases of organizations violating privacy. Google, both here in the US, in 2019, in Australia, they've been fined. Uh, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, all of them. These are just the big companies. And this is not just the big companies, it's almost every company. If you go to FTC website, you will start to see thousands and yearly, monthly, 
violations, fine. And what I find appalling sometimes is that they pay this five million in the case of uh, Facebook, and yet they don't accept responsibility. They accept accountability, but no responsibility. You know, mm. it's really sad because, and that is why I'm advocating for the world to really accept the situation that we don't have control of our information once it's released. What we have or what we seem to be advocating is an illusion of control, which doesn't make no sense. If you already know you have no control and you had only illusion of control, then the next thing is to see how you can, what you can do to really get to the bottom of the problem. And that's what I'm advocating with this journal or paper. It's interesting that you mentioned just not accepting responsibility because you see a lot of that. And I think that just harms trust that you have with your consumers. Um, so I'm curious for people who are listening right now who are privacy professionals, how can they go about explaining the law of non-contradiction to others in their enterprise to get their organization to act in a more privacy preserving way so that they fall more on the compliance side of the coin rather than that violation side? I think some of the companies you mentioned, you know, it's like, it's cheaper for us to pay a fine potentially than to worry about compliance. So what can privacy professionals do to explain some of the ideas in this article to better promote privacy preserving practices? Sure. Uh, of course, we know that violations and compliances are there. So it's no secret. So the question is, what is the driving force for these violations? in the face of everything, privacy professionals, the laws, the regulations, the uh, directive are, uh, are doing for compliance. Obviously, it's not working. So what are we left? Well, based on uh, going by your question, let us stop kidding ourselves about control of information privacy. Y you know. Let us work more with government and industry, uh, uh, scholars and practitioners to really call a spade a spade and realize that we, you know, we're going nowhere with where, you know, where we're going. And you know, the, the fans, the companies, I'm not a fan to find companies. I'm a fan for companies to stop violating privacy. You, you know. But one of the reasons, if you think about it, one of the reasons there is so many violations is because the laws are not adequate, in a sense. And going by your question, you said, what can we do to improve the adequacy of our policies and laws? Okay, one, uh, you know, my background is um, a little bit in the information uh, system development. Initially, when information security came, up, uh, came about, it was a boat on, you know, after you develop a system, after the system development phases or cycle, then you think about security. And it wasn't working. So what did we do? We changed to integration of security along the way, both on the hardware and the software and all the peripherals, and things got better. In privacy, 
some people, sometimes we look at it as individual data. You know, uh, if I'm not complaining, um, you know, it doesn't hurt anybody because I'm not complaining. It does because it's an aggregate of data. It's not in just one data, one data point. It's when you aggregate those data. So my recommendation is for every development, system development to include privacy at the core, at the beginning, and think a lot of all possibilities of how to manage and imbibe privacy controls within the system. That is, you know, of course you have those three triangles, you have a technical issue here, you have people issue, and then you have process issue. So the first time, is, what I'm talking about now is technical issue. The people issue is mindset. You know, how can we encourage people, organizations to do more, um, not to exploit? And even if they, you know, there's no way that people will not need data or use data. The question is, can that data be attributed to one person or to one organization? So, for example, the idea that I, I, I talked about before, can we have a word number, identification number, that doesn't attribute data to a particular person, a particular country? In that way, all data can be readily available to the world to use. So, if you're looking for disease, you, you know, you, uh, you, you, have, you may have concentration, but you know, so you save for disease, you can get information about this, that disease worldwide without truly identifying who, do, who those people are. Until later, if, you know, if needed, you can be identified later. Or if mostly don't, really. If you made medication or drug is produced, people come and buy if they need it. Just like every other thing. We need to go to a situation where there is no need for identifying or, or, or pointing, using the data to identify a country people and then provide the data, make it available worldwide for people to advance uh, you know, knowledge. That is really what I'm trying to do here. And then before we wrap up, is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners that you haven't had a chance to discuss yet? Yes, thank you again for giving me the opportunity. Um, I think um, information privacy, as you know, is a new uh, discipline, so to speak. Uh, and in like everything else new, people don't understand it initially, but eventually uh, they will. What I think uh, we need to do is to, for more people to uh, you know, uh, develop their research, uh, put more effort towards information security research, uh, information privacy research, because really it goes with security as well. If you're able to uh, or privacy, information privacy intelligence, you know, things like that, more studies are needed. Uh, I, I use this opportunity to call on all institutions, all scholars, you know, to consider uh, investment in information privacy uh, discipline. Uh, 
in, in their curriculums. And the more studies uh, done on these things, uh, it will engineer some, in, some novel ideas that will actually help the world. Isaka, I thank Isaka for the opportunity. You know, I've published some papers in Isaka, and uh, I really like the um, the way it operates. I couldn't agree more, and we are very happy to have published you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. And unfortunately, that's all we have time for in this episode of the podcast. But if you want to learn more about this topic, be sure to check the link in our episode description box for a link to the full journal article. That's it for this episode. I'm Sophia Kazi, and thank you so much for tuning in.